0: This book was written by the cousin of Jesus Christ. He also was used of God to record the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. So we have have much to thank God for the contribution of John. This book was written in the latter part of the 1st century. So if um Jesus Christ lived and was crucified say 33 AD, uh, roughly 60 years later this was this was written and um somebody's trying to steal somebody's car right now. You hear that? Or you hit the button while you were sitting here. At any rate, my hearing aids are working today, all right? But John wrote this, and um, he was writing to a group of believers who had seen false teachers wreak havoc in their churches... He was writing to believers who had endured persecution. They had seen people depart from the faith that were once among them and then went out from them and and departed from the faith. Um, And to a group of people that things really, life, it was not going well for them. I mean, it was very, very difficult for them. And so he's writing, and we'll look at it in just a minute, and he tells us, I'm writing this for this purpose. But overall, he's writing to encourage them in the faith, to strengthen them in the faith, and to make them examine themselves to see... Am I in the faith? And he uses some pretty strong language in, in this short letter. And I trust as you read through it this coming week and study it, that it will be personalized in your life. But you notice he tells us specifically in three different areas why he was writing First John. He begins by just saying, I am a living witness of Jesus Christ. I heard him teach. I saw his life, his death, his resurrection. I bear witness, and I declare unto you that he was from the Father. Notice verse 3 of First John chapter 1. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. You notice right here he says, I am writing these things unto you, that your joy may be full. John deals a lot with joy. In in um, the Gospel of John, he said that Christ has come that you might have abundant life. And he says in John 15, 11, that you may have fullness of joy. Joy is something that God desires every one of us to have. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this at all. But... He's writing to them because there wasn't a lot of joy in their life just from circumstances. But he's writing to them and he's saying, I want you to have fullness of joy. We as believers ought to have joy in our life when we realize the wonderful grace of Jesus that we sang about and marvelous grace and Uh, What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arm before the throne of God above. We have one who intercedes for us and paid the penalty for our sin. But he's writing this, so in it he's going to give us a number of things that will help us to have joy. Joy is a byproduct of obedience. So, one aspect of this little letter Five small chapters is, he says, I'm writing to you that you may have joy. Look in chapter 2 and verse 1. He now says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he says, another reason I'm writing this unto you is that you would not sin. And he gives instructions through this book that how we can live in the righteous manner, how that we would not sin. Sin is an issue that we continually deal with. And, and understanding the truth about Jesus Christ will help us deal with the battle that we have with sin. Understanding God's forgiveness and mercy Um, helps us to deal with the battle. So, he says, I'm writing this that you may have joy. I'm writing this that you would not sin. And then turn to chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. And notice if you would look in verse 11. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So he says, thirdly, I'm writing these things unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, these are three. Not that it's the only purposes, but these are three of the purposes that he wrote this letter. That you may have joy, that you would not sin, and that you would know that you have eternal life. You know, there's there are people that that would say, Um, It's arrogant for anyone to say they know they have eternal life. But that isn't what John's saying. John is saying, I want you, God wants you to have assurance of your salvation. And honestly, in this book, he really calls out people. He calls out people that profess to be believers, and he says... If you really are a child of God, this is what you should have. If you say you are a child of God and you don't have this or you do something else, he said, and a number of times in this book you'll see as you read it, he said, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. That is strong language. I mean, can you imagine someone that you're in conversation with and, and you say something to them and they respond to you? You're a liar. We, we take personal offense at that. But John, in the boldness and the inspiration of God, realized how serious this was. These believers had had uh, other professing believers depart from them and abandon Christianity and some of them that were still with them were were harboring things in their life and John says you say you're a believer and you have this in your life he said you're a liar so he's he's going to address these and this morning I want to look at characteristics of individuals that John Says they are a liar, or says the truth is not in them, and then the characteristics of one that is a genuine believer. And John brings these out, and we're gonna we're just gonna highlight these this morning, and um, and I trust that then as you go through this book this week, that um, it will resonate with you, and I honestly trust that the reality of the truth of God will grip our hearts. You know, sad to say, in every church, there are people that truly aren't believers. I think one of the saddest aspects of the truth of God's Word is that he said, there are many people that think they belong to me, but they don't, and someday they will wake up the rude awakening that they were not a child of God. It's not a church membership. It's not being a member of this church. You can be a member of this church and not be a child of God. And you might say, well, how can that be that you're supposed to give a testimony that you're saved? We We can deceive ourselves into the reality of a work of God in our heart. And he said, If you are a child of God, it's more than just knowing all the facts that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, was crucified, rose again, paid the penalty for my sin. It's more than just knowing that. It's more than just praying a prayer. And this is what John's dealing with. One of the things that has struck me through our study of 30,000 feet through the Bible is that things never change. The same thing that that the prophets were dealing with, the same thing that the apostles were dealing with. Um, James said, don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. Those are all these issues. The human heart is the same throughout all generations. And the same answer is, is Jesus Christ. And so John is concerned that there are people in the body that really aren't children of God. And so we want to look, first of all, at the characteristics of those that he calls a liar. The truth is not in you. Notice 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So he said... If we say that we are a child of God and yet we walk in darkness, we walk like an unsaved person, we live in darkness, he said in strong language, you lie, that is not the truth, and you are not walking in the truth. See, it's easy for people to say, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. And John is saying, if you are a child of God and you walk like an unsaved person, I don't mean in the manner in which you, Your lifestyle is, is typical. It's not different than the world. He says, if you are in darkness, if you are doing the deeds of darkness, he said... You lie and you do not the truth. Notice if you look in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So here's here's on the other hand. Here's a person, first of all, that we saw says they're a believer, but they they live as if nothing happened. On the other hand, here's a person that says... I'm a believer and I never sin. John says, "You lie and do not the truth." There are some people that believe in this life that you can become to the you can come to the point where you never sin, sinless perfection. That's not biblical. You will never get in this life where you can say, I have no sin. And he says, some of you act like you're better than others, that you don't have sin. You don't deal with sin. You never confess sin. You act like you have no sin. He said, that's a lie. Then he went on and he said, now, if we're a child of God and we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, he tells us. Jesus Christ pleads our case, and he says, my blood covers his sin. But we still have to deal with sin, and he then said in, in verses previous to this, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice if you look in chapter 2 and verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Again, strong language that he uses. Doesn't matter if I keep the commands God has given me. I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I can live any way I want. John says, no, no, you're lying. The truth isn't in you if that's your attitude. Well, I prayed a prayer. If you are a child of God, you will have a heart that wants to keep his commandments. We won't won't perfectly keep them, but our desire is, God, I want to obey you. I want to show my love for you. So he says, if, if you have disregard for God's commands, the truth is not in you. Notice chapter 2 again and verse 9. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He who says he is a Christian and hates his brother, he said he's not a Christian. He is in darkness. Notice chapter 3 and verse 14 along the same line. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Notice, I mean, this is strong language. We think we can just, well, I have disregard for that person, but I love God. God says, wait a minute. If you hate your brother, he says, how can you say the truth of God abides in you? That isn't God. That isn't God's attitude. He goes on, chapter 4 and verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? We love to compartmentalize our lives. and, And I love God. I love these people. No. No. They've crossed me. They did me dirt. No, I have no use for them at all. And we love to, to, well, I don't really hate them. I'm just not fond of them. We speak evil of them. We do not pray for them for the blessing of God. God says, no, if you if you have disregard for your brother, how can we say the love of God is abiding in us? Back to chapter 2 and verse 15. You notice, it's amazing when you look at this little book how many times he's saying this over and over again. Chapter 2 and verse 15. Do not love the world. Nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Do not love the world. If anyone loves the world, verse 15 says, the love of the Father is not in him. When our affections, when our desires, when our hearts are set on all the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, greed, the pride of life, three basic things of life, the lust of the flesh, sensuality, the lust of the eyes, materialism, and the pride of life, uh, really the major sin with that is bitterness, bitterness. That our pride, you offended me, and I am mad at you. You didn't bow down and make me God. That's what bitterness really comes back to. You didn't do things the way I wanted. He said those three things, all that is of the world, and it's all going to disappear. And if you're living for the things of this world, he says, how do you say the love of God is in you? And then probably the easiest one for us to hear is in chapter 2 and verse 22. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, either he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also? So he says, "If you deny that Jesus Christ is God, and that was a that was a problem in this time. Well, we believe Jesus is is um, good, maybe a prophet, but he's not God. If you deny that, you are not of God. Well, immediately that." In our world today there are a number there are a number of religions that deny that Islam denies that Jesus is God Mormonism denies that Jesus is God Jehovah's Witness deny that Jesus is God to most everyone here we understand Jesus is God so that isn't a big thing to us here today but No one can say, I am God's, and deny that Jesus is God. That's what he's saying here. Everything hinges on Jesus Christ. So, he lists these things and he said, don't talk to me about being a Christian. And I'm not going to go over these six things. You can see them there. But, let's go to the other side. He also emphasizes a genuine believer, and some of these overlap; some of these are repetitory in in other words, he is saying the same thing again. The book of First John is kind of like revolving around. He comes around and and says the same thing over again in another way because he knows that repetition is the key to learning. And and so he does that. So a genuine believer, notice in verse 3 of chapter 2. Now by this we know that we know him. Okay, right there he says, Here's proof that you know God. What? If we keep his commandments. Now, we saw on the other hand, if you don't, if you have disregard for his commandments, it's proof you don't. So on on the good side... Proof that we are a genuine believer is that we have a desire to obey Him, to keep His commandments. We've already talked about that. Look to chapter 2 and verse 28. And now, little children, abide in Him, and when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born in Him. Abide in Him, and when He appears, we may have confidence at His coming. This term, abide in Him, means that that we continue with Him. It means that that we... uh, Think on him and meditate on him. It's not like you read the word and then let it go. You understand that your dependency for everything is in Christ Jesus. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, John 15 said, you'll bring forth fruit. But if a branch is cut off, it withers and dies. So a true believer desires Christ, abides in Christ. Look at chapter 3 and verse 2. Verse 1, he says, Wow, what an amazing thing that we should be called the children of God. Verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So a true believer looks forward. Christ is coming again, and when I see him, I'll be like him. And a true believer looks forward to that. And a true believer, because of Christ's coming, pursues purity. He says, every man that has this hope in him... <clears throat> purifies himself even as Christ is pure. A true believer has a desire for a pure heart, a pure mind, pure speech, pure life. There's, a, there's a, an unwavering desire for purity. Someone that says, oh yeah, I know God. And they have no desire for purity in their life. And I, I'm not just talking sexual purity. I'm talking separate from sin. I want to be pure for God. I want to be usable in in His hands. That desire. See, people uh, people say, "Oh yeah, sure. I I know Christ." There's no evidence of any desire of abiding in Him, desiring Him. There's no desire of of pursuing purity. John says, no, no, no. Someone that is genuinely saved pursues purity. They're not asking, why do I have to do that? If God said it, that settles it. I'm willing to do it. Look at chapter 3 and verse 9. Well, let's back up to verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. A genuine believer does not practice sin as a way of life. And and the the, the whole context, the whole tense of the words here, doesn't mean a genuine believer never sins. It means they don't just perpetually practice sin. When a believer sins... The Spirit of God convicts. There is guilt when we disobey God. And, and the Spirit of God convicts, and we have an opportunity to repent. We don't repent. God brings discipline into our lives because he loves us. But a person that can perpetually go on sinning and no problem with it, he says he's not of God. A genuine believer is bothered by sin and does not practice it. And then chapter 3 and verse 14. And there are many other verses in here that bring it out. But verse 14 of 1 John 3. We know that we have passed from death unto life. How do we know we have passed from death unto life? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. And again, the flip side of those that are a liar, hate their brother. A genuine believer loves his brother. Notice verse, four, or verse 7 of chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. You say, But it is hard to love some of these people in my life. And God says, I know that. Love is of God. You're not going to get it anywhere else. And proof that you are a child of God is that you get the love of God in your life and you're able to manifest it to unlovely people. Because an unsaved person can't do it. They can't genuinely love. They, can't, they can give love to those that love them. But when that unlovely person treats us in a manner we don't like or in a manner that isn't just, and we are able to respond with God's love, that is proof. That we have more than just what's in us, that we have God in us. Now you notice, throughout all of this, he said, I'm writing to believers, but he's saying, if this is in your life, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. This is God's word saying this. And he's writing it because he wants them to examine their life. Listen, only you know what's in your heart. And sometimes we don't even know what's in our heart. But I'll guarantee you this. If you say, God, I want you to show me my heart. God, am I really a child of God? Listen, it ought to cause concern in your heart if if you say, you know what? I'm pretty content in this world. If your heart and mind runs to the things of this world, if you have um, a lack of love for a brother or sister, because he said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, we did all these works in your name, and in your name we cast out devil, and he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. To examine our hearts. To try every spirit to see if it is of God or not. There's a famous inscription in a cathedral in Lübeck, Germany. It says, you call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way but walk not in it. You call me life, but desire me not. You call me wise, but follow me not. You call me rich, and ask me not. You call me eternal, and seek me not. You call me noble, and serve me not. You call me mighty, and honor me not. You call me just and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. John was concerned that there were people that really didn't have the life of Christ in their heart. And he gave a number of things, and we touched on some of them here today. And it does us well to examine our own heart, to see that we are children of God. Heavenly Father, I pray that your Spirit would bring the truth of 1 John home to every life here. Not just now, but Lord, this week as we expose our heart and soul and mind to the truth of it, I pray that you would... Cause us to see how you see our hearts. Lord, I pray if there is one here today that your spirit is at work and they know in the depths of their heart that they are not a child of you, Lord, I pray today they would call upon you for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, I pray for individuals here that that may think they are a child of yours, but you know that they are not. Lord, I pray that you would awaken them to the reality of their own condition. And Lord, I pray that you would bring them to salvation. And then, Lord, I pray for every believer here today. May we have hearts that pursue a purity of heart as you. May we manifest genuine love May we have a commitment to honor you through our obedience. And Lord, may there be much fruit in our lives as we abide in you. May there be confidence and assurance that, yes, I am a child of God, as manifested by what you have done in our lives. And may that assurance then Grant confidence to rescue others that are perishing and that they could be brought to know you. Lord, accomplish your purposes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.